All right, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to cover the whole Bible, but not at one class. We're going to talk a little bit about the book of Genesis. Now, we're going to be doing some studies in great men and women of the Bible. And um, as you go through and you study some of these things, if you get a picture of some of these people that God used, you wonder, is that the best he had? Well, I'm afraid that's probably the best that he had. You know, God uses sinners. Because there's a sure a lot of us. And he must love sinners. So that's the only kind of people there are. And he so loved the world, so he must love us. So you got to start about in the beginning, in the beginning. So how did everything start? So take your Bible and look in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. So we're going to look at a few things kind of like, um, you know, how God created everything. And then uh, God created a man, and God created, you know, the Garden of Eden. He created a, a woman, and um, I've been wanting to talk to him about that. <laughs> now, and he created, you know, just a lot of things, and it uh, ends up with the story in the Garden about, you know, this old, um, well, snake that come crawling down out of this tree or wherever it was. And got a hold of the woman and uh, twisted her mind. And next thing you know, here we are. But if you want to know how things begin, you go to the book of beginnings. Isn't it wonderful that we have a book that tells us from the very beginning? When I was going to school, I used to always, you know, I'd listen in class and they'd talk about the uh, homo legumina. They talked about the Homo sapiens, that's what it's supposed to be, and then talk about the Neanderthal man, talk about the Piltdown man, the Cro-Magnon, Neanderthal, they also call it a, an Australopithecine man. And they had all these big fancy names, and they found these evidences. And the evidences was a joke. But that was the best that they have. And I used to always get on the bus and I'd be driving home and I'd look up on the hill and I could see these cavemen. So I always, I'm going all the way back to caveman. And I'd see these cavemen, they'd knock this woman over the head and grab her by the hank of hair and they'd drag her into the cave, you know. And I thought, now that's must have been the way it was. And then rubbing sticks together trying to figure out how to start fires. And so we know cavemen had to live in caves. And so evidently they had to be grunt, grunt. You know, they didn't know how to talk. So they had to develop a language. And so I listened to all this stuff. But somehow inside of me I think, that ain't true. I didn't know the Lord. I didn't know the Bible. But I just did not feel comfortable with thinking that I came from a monkey or an ape. And I knew that there's got to be more to this story. Well, I am so glad that God put it in the book. And he starts off right at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, he doesn't even debate whether or not you believe in God or not. It doesn't matter whether you do or you don't. God says, I did it. I did it. I started it. I created everything. And so uh, some people try to, and they can do that in verse 2, uh, put you know, millions of years in between, you know, creation and so forth, and say that there's some kind of a cataclysmic judgment that took place and so on. And so there was 
angels that sinned against God, and so there's all this death and so on. Well, I believe that the Bible teaches that by one man, sin entered into the world. So sin came in by a man and not because of fallen angels. And therefore, I don't believe that there could have been a prehistoric judgment upon the earth because there would have been death upon the earth. But sin came because of the man. And by sin, death passed upon all men. So I don't put a lot of you know, a distance between verse 1 and verse 2 and 3 and so on. I believe God says, hey, this is what I did. Now let me tell you how I did it. So then he talks about how that there was darkness upon the face of the earth and so on. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And evening in the morning was the first day. And he saw that it was good. So God says, and it was good. It was good. Evidently, God must have been impressed with what he did. Hey, that's good. That's good. Uh, I love the book of Genesis, because it tells us how things began. So you look there, and as you go through, you'll see a lot of things that God did and the way he laid it out. And scientists tell us today it had to happen this way because if it didn't happen this way, in a short period of time, uh, the earth would have had to live, you know, exist for, say, 250,000 geological you know, ice ages in order to, you know, develop to the next stage and then, 250,000 years. and Well, the earth could not last that long, and a day could not be that long. Everything would be frozen. Everything would be dead. Animals couldn't live without plants, and the plants can't live. Everything has to work together. And it's amazing how God did it. But now notice what he does say here. Genesis chapter 1, look there in verse 11. And God said... Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind. Now, you'd be surprised as if you go through this, how many times the Bible says after his kind, after his kind. Isn't it something that when God created, he made everything with the power of procreation. It was able to reproduce after its own kind. What if God created it all, but they couldn't reproduce. And once you cut down a tree, well, there was no more. Isn't it wonderful that God made everything within itself the ability to reproduce? So that we get seeds and we can plant seeds and we know if you plant this seed, this is going to grow. You plant that seed, that's going to grow. Everything reproduces after its own kind. And nobody has been able to dispute that to this day. There, in other words, when you plant squash... You don't get carrots. It just doesn't work that way. You get what you plant. And so the Bible teaches them. See up there in verse 12? And the earth brought forth grass, herb-yielding seed after its kind, tree-yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after its kind. God saw that it was good. And the even one, third day. So God did these things. And then he's telling us how he did these things. And it's so important. Look in verse 14. From the very beginning, God tells us about the sun and the moon. The sun, the brighter light to rule the day, and the moon, the lesser light to rule the night. Aren't you glad it's not totally pitch dark? I mean, so dark. We can still see, even at nighttime, you can still see. And yet it's not that bright in the daytime that it doesn't blind our eyes. 
Now, if you want to just stand there and look at the sun, I guess you can go through that. But God has designed life on earth so that you and I can live here. Remember, we are simply people living in a spacesuit. This little body of ours is a spacesuit so that we can live on planet earth. Take away that spacesuit, you can't stay here. In case you didn't know that. You have to leave. You have to have a body to stay here on planet earth. Isn't it wonderful that God designed it where there's a thing called gravity that holds everything down, and yet they have a hard time explaining, well, what is gravity? What is gravity? There, I got it right here. There it is. Oh, it's gone now. But what is gravity? They said, well, it's just it's what holds you down. Okay. So here's the earth. It hangs upon nothing. God made the earth and he hung it upon something. Try that in your house. Just get the same thing, but not hanging it on something. What happens to it? Well, gravity causes it to fall. Whatever gravity is. But isn't it great that it causes it to fall to the earth? What if everything flew off from the earth? Would you have to do, nail our feet down so that we wouldn't leave here? God knew what he was doing. And so in verse 14, he says, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, for seasons, days, and years. God did that. God's the one that designed how much time it takes for the earth to rotate, and whether or not you believe we go around the sun or the sun goes around us is a, a, a layout that God has done. And it works perfectly. The timing is so intricate. It is awesome. Now, if you have laws, there must be a lawgiver. If you have a design, must be a designer. If it has a plan, must be a planner somewhere behind this thing. Or you can believe like the evolutionists that it's just a big old accident. So four big gases came together, <laughs> the big bang, and here we are. That takes a bigger miracle. Throw up a hand grenade and see if something good comes from it. Or you go into a printing factory and, you know, get all the typesetting in there. That I used to work in a printing shop. Explode the place and expect it whenever it lands to have printed, you know, a book of Shakespeare or to print the whole Bible. But no plan behind it. It was all just an accident. So we believe that in the beginning... God really did create the heavens and the earth. And then he lays it out and tells us what he did and tells us how he did it. Not all the little hows and so forth, but as you go down through here, you see that in verse 21, God created great whales, living creatures that moveth in the water, and after its kind, every winged file that flies in the heaven, he created everything reproduces after its own kind. And it's always been that way. It will always be that way. There is no such thing as evolution. Evolution exists only in the minds of the atheist because he doesn't understand either one. They say, well, God could have created by the process of theistic evolution. In other words, God created by the process of evolution. He did not. God spoke and it was done. It didn't take eons of time. See, the evolutionists believe that if you have enough time, anything is possible. That's not true. Just because you got a lot of time, it works against because second law of thermodynamics teaches that everything runs towards randomness and decay and disorder, destruction. 
Things don't get better and better. Well, if the world is running down, the question is, how did it ever get wound up? How did it ever get there? How did that sun get to be just so hot, so far from the earth, to give the perfect heat that we need to produce the seasons that we have and the rotation and the angle and all this stuff on the axis? It's perfect. I believe God did that. But they want us to believe nobody did it. Well, you can believe whatever you want. Now look what he says here in verse 24. Now, uh, just to throw this in here, in verse 22, and bless them, God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters and the seas, and they'll let the fowl multiply in the earth. So whether it was in the sea or whether it was on the land, he said, fill the whole thing. And then later on, when he made man, he says, replenish the earth. Well, it's already got animals, already got fish, but it had never been filled with people. Now God says for the people to multiply. Another thing. As you look in verse 24, after his kind. Verse 25, after his kind. And so it mentions this over and over again. Then God says, I'm going to make a man. Now remember, God used Moses to sit down and write the first five books of the Bible. Moses didn't sit down and say, mm, that sounds like a good idea. I think I'll write that now. Nah, I think I'll scratch that. I'll write this now. No, God told Moses what to write. And Moses was not there. But the one that was there in the beginning told him what to write, and so he wrote what God says to write. And so we have from the beginning of the human race, where did the first man come from? And so some people want to say, well, you know, there was these, uh, these apes, and then you have a common ancestor maybe, and lo and behold, they keep graduating until they finally got up to where, la-la. Now, my ancestors may have hung by the neck, but they didn't swing by the tail. So we have all these people that have made all these drawings and put it in our books. And so there we know how we got here. The development of man. Well, God says it's a little bit different of a story. This is what he said he did. See, in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and everything that creepeth upon the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, male and female created them. Have you ever tried to figure out how in the world, how did a, a blob of protoplasm, you know, they just multiply, reproduce them? Somewhere along the line, that had to stop. How do you say, okay, you be the male and I'll be the female? But now there's no plan. There's no design. And look how many things depend upon male and female in order for, you know, creation to be extended. And yet it has to happen at the same time because the man without the woman can't produce, and the woman without the man can't produce. So somewhere you've got to talk about the sex life of the amoeba. How to split up and stay happy at the same time. And then you talk about the eye. Where did the eye come from? Well, it came from a light-sensitive spot, like a freckle. Aren't you glad those light-sensitive spots develop right here? What if they did develop in the city of your pants? Every time you sit down, you go blind. But this was just an accident. Yeah, but how does it know to develop the eye when it doesn't know there's light waves and its blob doesn't know there's anything to see? 
But God says, He that made the eye, shall he not see? He that made the ear, shall he not hear? So we do have a God that can see and hear, and he knows there were light waves and sound waves. Why should a blob of protoplasm develop an ear in order to hear something when it doesn't know ahead of time that there is such a thing as sound waves? And if natural selection is true, then nature should elect to eliminate that vestigial organ from the body because it has no purpose. Then you can't have progress. You can't evolve upward because time would eliminate anything that has no purpose to it. That I... It's a trap. They walk right into it. They have no way of substantiating their position. That's why you can make a monkey out of a person who believes in evolution. Because they have no facts. You say, well, the world is here. Okay, the world is here. Somebody either made it or it created itself. All right, now which one of those sounds feasible? It made itself. Okay. How long has it been since you've seen something come from nothing? You ain't never seen it. Why would you believe that this whole world and creation created itself? Did it all by itself? Or would it be easier for us to believe somebody did it? Somebody did this. So it's easier for me to believe that God did it than nobody did it. Doesn't that make sense? At least I start with some, and the law of biogenesis states that life must come from life and exist on previous life. So that means that life must come from life. Well, four gases come together. (laughs) That's not life. How can a rock give life to a plant? How can a plant give life, you know, and become an animal? It, it, It doesn't happen. It cannot happen. We are different from animals. Animals don't become people. Now, people can become animals. Yeah, we're really better. All right, look there. Next thing I want you to look in chapter 2. Look in chapter 2. Look in verse 7. In verse 7, where it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. This is how God said he made man. He made a body out of the dust of the ground. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. Now that's how God said he made man. So uh, since we came from the dust of the earth, this little boy got up and he ran in there and said, Mama, 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 come quick, there's somebody on my bed. She looked on the bed and she says, there's nothing on there but dust. Oh no, is he coming or going? So we think that um, it's easy to understand just like, uh, you know, the anthropologists say, well, we can create a man. So they said, that we'll have a contest with God. But God said, okay. So he says, okay, you can make a man. Yep, we can make a man. So they got some dust and dirt and put it all together. And God said, no, 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 no. Go get your own dirt. They can't even make dirt, let alone a man. So the Bible says that God made a man. And then we talked about in his image, there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And so there's a, a body, soul, spirit. There's the soul, God, there's a body, Christ, and there's a spirit, Holy Spirit. So you and I have a body, a body, a soul, and a spirit. So we are a trinity. 
Now, it would be nice if I could put three chairs up here and put my body in one, my soul in one, and my spirit in one, and sit and have talk from fellowship. Have you ever talked to yourself? Have you ever sung to yourself? Do you enjoy your singing? You say, only in the shower. You need more baths, huh? So that you can talk to yourself. It's when you start answering yourself that you're in trouble. So you are a trinity. You were created in the image of God. And that's why there's, in every man, the body makes you world conscious. It is your soul that makes you God conscious. And it is your spirit, or I should say your self-conscious, and your spirit which makes you God conscious. So you're conscious of the world in which you live. You're conscious of yourself. I'm alive. And you're conscious that there's a God. So God did that to us and for us. So then he made a garden. Made a garden. Look there in verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden. Wouldn't you love to have seen a garden that God planted? Me, I can plant a lot of stuff. Nothing grows. Seems like everything I plant dies. Betty can take anything that looks like it's half dead and bring it back to life and it looks look good. She can plant flowers and all kinds of stuff like that. Up in Georgia one day, I got out there and I worked and I slaved breaking up them clods in that old hard Georgia clay. Finally got enough of it that I could plant some seeds. And uh, I'm over there working like a dog, sweat pouring off of me. And Betty went over there to the house, and right next to the house, she just dug a little hole and she planted some tomato plants. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm planting tomatoes. I said, I'm planting a garden. I'm the man of the home. I mean, this is my job. I mean, this is what I do. I'm a macho man. Then I got me some pipes, and I figured out how to water it all, and I put little holes in it so it could come on there and water it and all that stuff like that. Well, after a while, hardly nothing came up. But next to the house, Betty's plants got up higher than my head and had tomatoes loaded to the gills all around this thing. I couldn't stand it. She plants, it grows. I finally have hit success. I dug a hole out there and I got me a a fig tree, a little plant. And I put it out there and I nurtured that thing because I wanted my own fig tree. The Bible talks about every man should have his own fig tree. I want a fig tree. So I planted it and then died. But the next year, a little green plant came up from it. I thought, I got one. It's going to live. And I was so excited because I planted this, and it's growing. I was so excited. Now, with this fig tree, I did not expect to get apples from it. It was not a banana tree. It is a fig tree. And so it grew a little bit, and then the sun killed it, and that was it. The next year... It got up a little bit higher. Each year it got a little bit bigger. And I saw it had a couple of little figs on it. And I actually ate one of the figs. It's a little bush, but it had a fig. I was so excited about that. And one day I had this my tractor, and I'm doing some bush hogging. And I was so proud of that thing, and I swung that thing around, and I went too far. Whoa! I cut it right down. I killed it. I left that thing go for about five years. And I went back up there to see it. It's about this high now. That thing's safe as long as I'm not around. But one of these days, I may have my own fig tree with figs all over it. 
But you know, we can do that, and we can plant because we know that if you plant this, this is what comes up. You plant this. And it's why it says, your man will reap what he sows. We learn to be careful in what we sow. So the Bible says that God made a garden, and when he made this garden, he had a tree there. One was a tree of life, and one was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, which one were they not supposed to take? The knowledge of good and evil. There's things God did not want them to know. He didn't want them to know the fruits of rebellion, the fruits of sin. He didn't want them to die. So he told him, this is one tree you're not to partake of. And it wasn't all the freedom that they had. It was they were told they can't do one thing. You got kids like that, teenagers? It doesn't matter what you say you can do. Is that you told me one thing I can't do. Now, look, Johnny, you can have anything in the room, anything in the kitchen, all kind of, but there's one can up there that says cookies on it. Don't touch it. Which one do you think he wants? The one you said he can't touch. There's just something inside of us that makes us rebellious. Would you classify yourself as a rebellious person? Are you strong-headed, you know? You know, just got to have your own way. Or are you sweet and pliable? You know what was so neat this week? Well, it wasn't really neat. Betty had to go get some medicine. She got some medicine. And the next day she woke up. She said, what? Honey, I can't hear you. She couldn't talk. Her voice was gone. And I thought of that scripture, a meek and quiet spirit. Do you realize that we've been married 54 years? I've never heard my wife holler. She never hollered at me. Never hollered at me. I don't know what it would sound like. I don't want to find out. But I don't recall her ever hollering at me. Are you a hollerer? She has never hollered at me in 54 years. But have I raised my voice? Oh, occasionally. So, as you go through the Scriptures and you see what God did, He planted His wonderful garden, just ideal, and gave them a responsibility. They were supposed to keep it, take care of it. And so they, they did these things. Now, in verse 16, And the Lord God, this is in chapter 2, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And here's the thing. We know that they, they ate the fruit, right? We've all heard the story. They, they ate the fruit. You say, well, they didn't die that day. Yes, but something died that day. See, they were supposed to die that day. But God took an innocent animal and skinned it and supplied them with skins to cover themselves. So something innocent had to die for their sin in order for them to live. Now, they were spiritually cut off from God. But physically, they're still alive. But sin takes its toll. You go out in the garden and you see that beautiful little lily, 
and you cut it. Now, at that moment, it's dead. It just doesn't look dead. But in a little time, it's going to start withering because it's been severed from the source of life. You and I have been severed from the source of eternal life. That's why if you can't have eternal life, you're going to have a short period of time to live. So when we're born in this world, we start off and we think we're getting better and better and bigger and bigger and older and older. And then you start going the other direction, right? How many of you think you've already gone over the hill and you're, now you're getting worse and worse? Anybody? Uh-huh. I felt like that when I hit my 20s. No. But we, we get better and better, and then all of a sudden it's like, you're, okay, now you're getting worse and worse. And every year it gets worse and worse. And you know you're going to, if the Lord should tarry, you know what's going to happen, don't you? What's going to happen? You're going to die. So in the book of Genesis we have how God created the heavens and the earth. We have how he created the first man. And it even tells us that he made a beautiful garden and he made, he made a woman. Now, how in the world did he make a woman? Well, this took a lot of work. But after he made the man, he knew he could do better. A woman told me that. Can you believe that? A woman told me that God realized he could do a lot better than that. So then he made a woman. So anyway, he didn't make a woman, but he caused him to take a nap. And evidently gave him anesthesia, and he put him out. He went to sleep. You know, they still do that today. When they're going to have surgery on you, they put you out. Well, that, that happened to the first man, the first man God ever made. So look there in verse 21. Verse 21, chapter 2, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Now, the Bible says that he took a rib. Now, of course, women always make sure that I understand. He didn't take from the head so that he could rule over. And he didn't take him from the foot so that you can walk on her. It says, taken from the side so that you are together as one. Closest to the heart. Okay, that sounds really nice. I can't disprove that. But um, it, it sounds, sounds all right to me. But now, it's kind of like whenever God made this woman, you realize she had to be a, a looker. But then we don't really know because, see, there was nobody to compare her with. She was, at that moment, the most beautiful woman in the world. And at that moment, she was the most ugliest woman in the world. Why? She was the only woman in the world. And so, she looked at Adam and she says, do you love me? He said, who else? Who else? A woman's jealous even at the very first one. There is nobody else. I don't know. I just made that up. But... Um, have you ever had your wife say, you know, she's an angel, always up in the air, nothing to wear, and harping on something? Well, anyway, here it talks about he put him to sleep and brought her, look in verse 22, and the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. This is why we believe that 
you know, the Lord can bring people together. And we believe that and trust that. So the first marriage is between them. God brought them together. And they were naked. They didn't have any clothes on. Well, there's nobody else to see them either. But it didn't bother them, and the Bible says they were not ashamed. So um, it says in verse 25, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Then you think, well, everything is going to be great. If the Lord's in something, the devil's close by. And you know that the devil is going to do whatever he possibly can to ruin everything. The devil is a liar, and God is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. Satan is a liar. You can't trust him. He lies. So therefore, you're going to have a problem. And he whispers in your ear, and he'll say some truth, but add just a little of a twist to it. And so, whether or not this serpent used to walk upon all fours, we don't know. Or whether it was a great big old serpent wrapped around this big old tree. Now, if you see my chart, i got a great big old serpent going around this tree. And um, anyway, the thing could talk. So maybe back then, maybe, you know, certain things could talk. I don't know. I don't believe the animals could talk. But there's something about this serpent mm -hmm. could talk. And uh, the serpent was Satan using the serpent. But God cursed the serpent as though the serpent could have determined something. I'm not sure what it is. I got a few questions I'm going to ask the Lord when I get to heaven. I want to rerun on all this stuff. I want to see the VCR. I bet, I bet he got it all on VCR. So maybe, you know, for a thousand years in heaven, you know, we've got time. We can ought to be able to catch up on a few things. But he says, um, you should not eat of all the things of the garden because, you know, the day you eat thereof, you can't, she says, you can't eat it or touch it. She added maybe just a little bit to it. But I'm not sure if the Lord didn't say that because if she said something that wasn't true, then she would have told a lie. And that means she would have told a lie before it actually happened. Before Satan never deceived her. So she may have been just being honest that this is what the Lord said. And so in verse 3, but of the fruit of the tree, in chapter 3, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, she'd been better off she had never touched it. But the serpent said in verse 4, You shall not surely die. But what did God say? You shall surely die. But what did the devil say? You shall not surely die. One of them's telling the truth and one of them's lying. Who lied? Now, you know that what word of God says, it's always the truth. But if you, as you live your Christian life, and you know what God says to do and not to do, and at the same time, you have these other thoughts. Well, these other thoughts, if it's in disagreement with what God says, it must be a lie. Now, you can't see Satan, but is he real? He is real. I asked this man one time, I said, do you believe in the devil? He says, I sure do. I says, why? He says, because I married his sister. Okay. <laughs> Notice what he says in verse 5. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, 
And that's partly true. And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Well, it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God did not want them to know evil. God didn't want them to know the consequences of sin. But if they did and they rebelled, they're going to know some things they should not have known. But the devil is planting seeds. Curiosity killed the cat. That's what I was always told. And so he says here in verse 6, look at what problems there were. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, desire to make one wise, those are the same three things you find in the book of 1 John in chapter 2, where it says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those same three things. When the devil came and tempted Jesus, whenever he was led into the mountains and 40 days without food and water, and the Bible says that Satan came to him. And these are the same three things he tried to tempt him with. These are the same three things he tries to... Why, why does he use the same technique? Because it works. Because of the pride of life. I want to be somebody. Me, 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 me. And you want to have something. You see something, you want something, desire something, desire to be something. All these things, God says, this is how Satan is going to try to lure you. And so that's why he wants you to get in debt as much as possible because he shows you a house that you can't afford or shows you a car that you really don't need or shows you this job or shows you this and this and that and the other. Next thing you know, you are walking into a trap that you sometimes you never get out of. That hasn't happened to anybody here, I'm glad. But there are traps that the devil, he lures you into it, little by little. And next thing you know, here you are, you can be married, happily married, and then the devil will bring up some good-looking blonde bombshell, wearing one of those atomic dresses, 50% fallout. And you, you can be lured very easily and very quickly. And a lot of marriages have been destroyed. Homes wrecked. Kids destroyed. All kinds of things. And don't you worry, worry about your children and your grandkids because you know the devil is real and you know he's going to try to deceive them and lie to them and you don't want them to put scars upon their life. True? You want them to do what's right because you love them so much and you don't want them to hurt so bad. You don't want them to not be able to be used by God or get God's best down the road. Well, I think most of us have been there and maybe still there. I got little grandkids and I've got 30-year-old grandkids. <sighs> and I love to see them come and I love to see them go. I am glad God never meant for old folks to raise little kids. But then I thought about Abraham and Sarah. You realize that they had to raise a kid when he was 100 years old. She was 90 years old. She had a baby when she was 90 years old. Now, you want God to use you? <laughs> that ought to scare you half to death. Did they get caught? They went and hid, and next thing you know, she gave the fruit to Adam and he did eat. And then the Lord faced them. Adam, where art thou? 
I used to play hide and seek with my little son, Eddie. And I said, all right, go hide, and I'll come try to find you. He said, okay. And he'd run and he'd hide. I'll say, all right, three, two, one. Here I come, ready or not. Where are you? He said, over here. I said, Eddie, Eddie, you're not supposed to tell me where you are. Okay, we'll do it again. (laughs) Here I come, ready or not. Where are you? Over here. It was so hard to play hide and seek with him. Because he was just learning, he would always obey. You ask him a question, he has to obey. Well, that's what he would do. So, and Adam and Eve says, she's over there. No. He says, where art thou in verse 9? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid. Well, he wasn't afraid before. I went and hid. Well, why? He didn't have to hide before. Sin changes everything. Sin can ruin your life. Sin can ruin a marriage. Sin can ruin a church. Sin is a terrible, terrible thing. And so he says, who told you that you was naked? He said, that's why I went and hid, because I was naked. He said, who told you that? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not? Did you do what I told you not to do? Well, evidently, yes. And so then you have, well, it wasn't me. It was that woman you made. And then says, well, you know, it was the serpent beguiled me, passing the blame. Do we do that today? It's not my fault. Oh, I'd be going to church today, but you know that preacher over there, he hurt my feelings. And so they used the preacher as a reason for not going to church. He, he said something I didn't like. And you were so discerning and you knew he was wrong. And over, Did you ever tell the preacher? Well, no. I got sick and went to the hospital, and he never even came to visit me. Did he know you was in the hospital? Well, he's supposed to know that. He's the pastor. Okay. You know, there's a lot of things that happens, and people always want to pass the buck. Blame it on somebody else why we do what we do. And so the Lord says, all of you, there's a price to pay. So one thing that we learned from these simple little illustrations is that... Uh, Uh, There's a price to pay for sin. You and I can choose to sin against God, and God can choose which way he wants to punish us. He didn't punish all of them the same way. The man had to now work by the sweat of his brow. He has to labor. And then there's thorns and briars and everything that works against you, so you've got to work twice as hard. And a woman, she could have had kids without having pain. Now she has to have pain when she has kids. And now the kids grow up and they become a pain. Have you ever seen parents that say, you know what? I hope you have ten kids. I hope they put you through what you put me through. Now, you wouldn't say that. But there are people who say that. So the woman, she had a problem. The serpent, well, he had to crawl on the ground and eat dust all his life. So everybody God dealt differently with. Now, just because somebody else, they did this, and God did this to them, doesn't mean God's going to do you exactly the same way. God is going to work in your individual lives and give you personalized attention because God loves each and every one of us the same. But how he deals with us may not be exactly the same. You say, well, somebody else did this, and they got killed. 
You think, well, if I do that, that's what's going to happen to me. Not necessarily. God may let you live and be miserable. And God could take you home. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for this class. Bless each one in Christ's name we pray. Amen.